What is going on, Sharp Football family? This is Rich Rebar, the resident fantasy swami of Konami, and this is our new fantasy football podcast for the 2021 season, where I'll be bringing on the best and brightest minds in the fake football industry, and each week we will bring some new fantasy flavor in your ear. But before we introduce our very first guest for week one, because it is week one, to ring in the new NFL season, we're excited to offer you 25% off anything on the site with code TAKE. 25. You can use take 25 to take 25% off any fantasy subscription, betting subscription, any all access subscription. And we even offer weekly subscriptions. Now you can take 25% off any of those as well. The season is about to start. So get in here, check out my worksheet was hands down the most detailed fantasy com in the industry. The people have said so. I've heard them. Uh, it is live today. All week one games are live and on the site. So use take 25 to take 25% off for a limited time right when you listen to this. All right, so tonight my first guest is Edwin Porras from thefantasypoints.com. Edwin is a doctor of physical therapy and an injury analyst. Um, I thought he'd be a great guest to have on for the start of the season to highlight how injuries impacted last season and could impact the upcoming season, the ongoing issues with COVID still putting its fingerprint on another NFL season, uh, and to set the record straight on a number of misnomers surrounding kind of players this season. So first of all, Edwin, how did I do with the rolling R? Uh, too Caucasian or no? No, not too Caucasian ever. Honestly, my <laughs> Caucasian brothers and sisters, I, I appreciate any attempt. And that is what we're going to roll with. You get an A for effort. Some, some people will say that participation trophies are bad. But in the effort for diversity and inclusion and equality, we will give A for effort all the time. When I come on shows and people try to say my last name, like, and I know they're not native Spanish speakers, I genuinely appreciate it. So it's good to be on with you, man. This is fun. I'm excited to be on. I totally am nervous be on sharp angles we're going to talk some actual fantasy i'm going to get to flex my very small actual fantasy non-injury guns we'll see you're going to give me i'm going to ask you for a grade at the end of this but you've been on my podcast injury prone fantasy football podcast twice now and you've been fantastic people have been raving people rave about that episode that episode always spikes my downloads because everybody wants to hear what you have to say i'm excited man i'm excited to get talking to some injuries i cannot believe it is week one I don't know how you feel about it, but the energy feels so much different now, obviously, because there's a vaccine. I'm not going to say we're through this, but we at least can see the path that we need to take to get this ship straightened out. Um, we have a, lot, a little bit more structure with the COVID protocols, which we'll get into. So, man, week one energy. I feel more so 2019 week one energy than 2020 week one energy. Yeah, big time. I think a lot of people just didn't really kind of know if the NFL season would really kind of get going last year. And if it did start, would it ever stop? Remember, a lot of people were putting contingency plans in last year. What happens if the NFL only plays 12 weeks? You know, what's going to happen? I don't I feel like everyone doesn't have that uh, notion that the, the plug is going to get pulled on us this year. But a big reason why I wanted to have you on is the advancement of injury analysis in our game is just flourishing. It used to be just us uneducated fantasy guys and gals kind of saying, hey, this guy's injured avoid him uh, I know I did that a lot to a degree you know I just wasn't you know privy to enough information and enough data uh, so I would just be more cautious but now we have people like you Dr. Gene uh, Ethan Turner Matthew Betts all these people are now providing actual data and information on player injuries to help us more accurately assess these situations and not just run and hide from our priors of these situations we don't know so let's jump into it with some topics here uh, the first one is last season and kind of the year that was just played under unique conditions, uh, really the most unique conditions we've ever seen. I have talked to listeners here on the other Sharp Angles podcast I do at Dan Pizzuta, and I wrote a chapter in the book about how the lack of offseason, the loss of home field advantage, the officiating impacts that all went into last season, all really kind of got this thing snowballing and what created the highest scoring season in NFL history. If I go rewind a year in advance, or year prior, you were one of the first people I recall last summer kind of, you know, loosely comparing it to the 2011 offseason, highlighting how last year's, you know, conditioning program could be a concern impacting player health. So, so how much did that really play out last season in terms of result of injuries? And, and what can we expect uh, from the 2021 offseason now that we've kind of had things kind of back to normal? Yeah, man, I don't want to say cause and effect because we never truly know right? But it makes sense. And it stands to reason that the altered workloads, and if I were to back up here for a second, workloads matter. When I say workloads, what I'm saying is any individual athlete, the, uh, the amount of hours, minutes, weeks that they spend working out, um, training, practicing, any type of work that goes into that cup, you can think of it as a metaphorical cup, 
if, and that's any sport, right? So we're talking any sport. What some researchers have found, which is really cool data within the last five, 10 years, uh, Tim Gabbett's a researcher. What he found is that if you basically take an athlete and you alter their workloads in one direction or the other, in, ter- in other words, if you get them to do way too much than they're used to doing, or you, you back off and they do not enough at all compared to what they've been doing, if those averages, if those acute to chronic workload ratios are off put by, one, by about 1.5, there's a three to six times increase in soft tissue injury rates. So basically you want to stay in that sweet spot. This is why what you saw with Christian McCaffrey at the very end when his body sort of pooped out and he got a quad strain. We got a quad strain from a tough tissue injuries because his workloads were going up and down. On top of that, um, I have this tweet that was from that, that I was sort of summarizing this last month, right? So last year we saw a ton of stars go down. Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Devonta Parker, Tyree Kill. Dudes go down with hamstring strains all the time, right? But this was a little bit different. You also saw Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, who typically never gets injured, David Montgomery, uh, Dalvin Cook had a weird groin strain. Cream Hunt has chronic groin strains. I think I listed Zeke twice. Miles Sanders had a hamstring strain. Uh, we saw the the massive tear with Austin Eckler, probably more so contact related. But then I already mentioned CMC, um, Jamal Williams. All these dudes had injuries, right? So if you look at the total injury instances from 2017, right? Let's start at 2017. Total injury instances, and this is from official NFL reports. These are a little subjective because they include the times where you know Bill Belichick will put a guy with a hamstring strain from like 10 weeks ago, but it's not really an issue anymore, right? So it's a little subjective. But if you look at the data from 2017, there were 214 total injury instances. This is among skill players. Uh, And then 2018, you had 294. And 2019, it dipped to 199. Uh, In 2020, it jumped up to 369. So you went from 294, 199 to 369. Um, In terms of individuals on the report, you went from in 2017, it was 86, 99, 122. Then it jumped to 131 uh, in, in 2020. And then, of course, the individuals individual individuals per instance was about 2.82. That ratio was the biggest that it's ever been. So all of that is to say COVID had a, what we can, it stands to reason, COVID had a massive uh, impact on these soft tissue injuries. You saw that, you know, you saw it play out with Mike Evans in week one. You saw it play out with Keenan Allen on whatever that Thursday night game was. So this, in other words, we are still dealing with the reverberations of this. And now you, you go into 2021, DeAndre Swift, Tyler Lockett, um, who else? Uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, right? The names go on and on of these players who are already dealing with soft tissue injuries. What's the solution? I don't really have one. Um, and it's And if I did, it would be, insulate yourself with a ton of wide receivers. And you've already sort of instilled that in my brain, especially when you came out of my podcast and we talked about um, receivers that you might miss on. So you want to sort of pad yourself. That would be the direction that I go. I think that if anything we learned from 2020, that's still sticking around 2021 is you either really pad yourself with wide receivers because they're the most like they're the most likely position to get injured by this by soft tissue injuries. Um, and, and then other guys is handcuffs, right? So if you don't have Zeke, grab Tony Pollard. If you don't have uh, Alexander or if you don't have Dalvin Cook, grab Alexander Madison. Those types of, of handcuffs, that would be the solution that I'd present. I just talked for a really long time, but I'm sorry. No, no, that's great. A lot of information. Uh, yeah, because like I said, I look at things, you know, just from the fantasy world and I'm just like, oh, hey, look, last year, uh, Derek Henry was the only top 25 running back in ADP to play the whole season. Like, you know, so it must have been because of this. And, you know, it never is because I'm not educated enough in that field. That's why I have smart people like you come in and lay this stuff down. Uh, but yeah, so we, we, we kind of, you know, not to completely bury the lead because we talked about COVID and, you know, kind of the it's still it's still around, believe it or not, people. It is actually, it is real. It still exists. It is. Uh, it, it, and it's still going to have a significant imprint on this 2021 season. So so how different is the COVID situation uh, now versus last season? What changes have been made this year for us that haven't really been privy to all the information and haven't really stuttered the CBA? Uh, what kind of things can we kind of prepare for uh, some changes that are made this year uh, to the COVID situation and how teams are going to handle it? Luckily for you, I've done my own digging. (laughs) So here's what we need to establish first. Obviously, we don't have a full exhaustive list of which players are vaccinated and which players are not. What I would say in a splitting hairs decision, I'm going with players who I know are vaccinated. Cole Beasley, I'm probably not going to go, you know, between him and I don't know. I mean, Danny Amendola just got signed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Cole Beasley is better than that. Uh, maybe I'm dogging him a little bit for the whole situation. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? In the split hair decision, I would go with vaccinated player. But here are the rules. 
if a vaccinated player tests positive, they have to isolate immediately, uh, but and then remain symptom free for two days, and they have to have at least two negative tests back to back. So, in other words, even if a player tests positive, they could be back theoretically within forty eight hours. So, if they test positive on a Wednesday, they could be back by Friday evening. So that's that's a very clear advantage. If a vaccinated player comes in contact with somebody who is uh, considered uh, COVID-19 positive, they don't have to isolate, right? So it's not, they don't have to leave practice, anything like that. Uh, As long as their test comes back negative and they're not displaying any symptoms, they're still considered like high risk, right? They're around high risk people. Um, And then they have to test for the next five days, which isn't that big of a deal, but essentially they don't have to isolate. And as long as their test comes back negative, then it's not a big deal. When you're looking at the unvaccinated side of things, it's a lot, a lot more. So if a player isn't vaccinated and they test positive for COVID, they have to isolate for a minimum of 10 days. I could get into the details of like, what if they have symptoms? What if they're hospitalized? You know, what's going on there? They, they have this entire uh, return, to, return to sport protocol. But the bottom line is that if they test positive and they're not vaccinated, they're out for a minimum of 10 days, if not two weeks based on if they have symptoms and if, they're, if their tests come back negative, et cetera. If they have a high risk or a close contact, then they do have to isolate for five days. So regardless of, of whether they test positive or not, they have to automatically isolate if they're not vaccinated for five days. So that, that means on a Wednesday, if your unvaccinated player tests positive, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, has a high risk contact, is considered high risk contact, they're not going to play on Thursday night. They're, they're going to isolate regardless of their tests coming back negative. Um, if their tests, if two of their tests come back negative, then they can be back within five days. So moral of the story, if we know a player is vaccinated, there is a clear competitive advantage to take those players. And that, that's just sort of the name of the game. Like it's not a political conversation. We're in this to play, right? We play this game to win. And, and this is a clear competitive advantage. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, maybe Zach Martin already kind of tipped us off. Maybe he's not maybe he was not vaccinated. Uh, so yeah, so if you, so if we're commissioners in our league last year, we made a lot of contingencies kind of in place, you know, if a guy goes on COVID IR, there's really no reason I believe to, if you're running a league to kind of, you know, limit the COVID IR spots, uh, all the, even though they are, it is tightened up this year. I mean, do you, do you agree with that or just, just kind of let it roll? Yeah, I know. I think, I think that this, that the, R, the IR spots are good. And I know that MFL and I think even sleeper has sort of had that specific checkbox, like allow COVID-19, players to be on the IR. And I think, yeah, I think that's great. I, in the, in the two leagues that I'm commissioner in, I think I just capped it at four. I think I said four mm-hmm. IR spots. Um, I mean, cause come on, let's be honest. If two of your starters are out anyway, <laughs> like how much, how many more COVID spots could you really use? But yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for, I mean, if you want to give 10 spots, give 10 spots. I just think that there's, there's a right. point where like sort of doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. I mean, the one, I only run down to one league commissioning. I mean, God bless everyone's soul that still is commissioning like multiple leagues. The other guys Oof. like Ryan McDowell and Scott Oof. fish, the true champions of the people. I just don't have the capacity for it anymore, but ours is where it's, you know, still, even if you take a guy and place him on COVID IR and you want to fill his roster spot, the transaction still costs money. So we don't mind because it's still running up the pot. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're in your, your league where transactions don't uh, cost, you might want to limit them. Still put at least some cap on them. Uh, that's great though. That's great information because I think a lot of people just know that it's around and kind of roll over what happened last year so basically this year we're not going to see like a whole position unit go down like we did last year right like we're not going to see like a situation where the 49ers come into Thursday night and can't play any wide receiver uh, because the whole room's not going to get shut down yeah I think that at this point the league is I wish I would I should have pulled this up I think the league is like 60, 70% fully vaccinated. So the chances of a whole room going down this year are very, very low. You're not going to have another Kendall Hinton situation more than likely, unless people are just being complete boneheads. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a running list or a rolling list of, of who is vaccinated, who is not, who has immunity, who does not. But I do think that if you, if you want to you know, do your own little Google search and find out which players have already had it or which players, you know, are vaccinated, et cetera. That, and I mean, most people have already done their drafts at this point, but that's something that I would definitely consider. But yeah, the, the chances of a whole offensive line uh, group going down is, is less likely this year. Yeah. Yeah. We had some rough situations there last year. All right. So that, that's going to put a bow on that. All right. So now let's roll into a few players that are kind of been really polarizing this off season, kind of due to injury speculation or the air quotes, is this player injury prone, uh, which I know that you'll get into as well. And really the, the first guy is the apex dog that everyone wants to talk about is Saquon Barkley, right? I mean, Saquon, you know, he, he had the ACL and I believe it was a MCL with it. Am, am I wrong? It was, yep, it was ACL, MCL meniscus. 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Giants kind of had, they kind of played really coy all offseason, although all the signs were that he was, you know, tracking to be, you know, active and everything was going on schedule and even a little bit of head of schedule for Saquon. But they, they, they did what the Giants should have done, right? There's no reason for him to come out and say, yeah, he's great. We're going to go full steam ahead. Uh, they did exactly what I believe their organization should have done. Uh, but it looks like he's tracking to be active week one. They have kind of suggested they're going to be cautious with him opening the season, but we don't really have a definition of what that is. What is the definition of limited? They haven't come out and say, well, we're going to give him 25% of snaps or even 50% of snaps. We're going to only let him play in certain packages on, you know, passing down and distance. Is he going to get goal line carries? These are all questions that we don't have the answer to under the vague veil of limited. Uh, the Giants also are a team that unfortunately the surrounding the situation also opened the season with three games in the first 14 days to open the season. Brutal. So kind of roll on like Saquon, you know, the timetable, is he, is he right on schedule where he should be? Uh, how strong do you feel about him? You know, kind of this upcoming season, how strong do you feel about him in week one? Even. I, I think this is a really good conversation to have, and there's so much nuance to be had. It's not don't start him versus start him. You know, there, there's a lot mm-hmm. to be had. So the first part is the, the type of injury he had. He had an ACL MCL meniscus. Now there's no literature pointing to the fact that lateral collateral ligaments. So the, the MCL and LCL, there was, those don't really impact recovery. That's what the literature shows. Cause I know a lot of people want to say, well, it was more than, you know, what matters here is that it was an ACL plus meniscus. What we assume based on Barkley's own comments that the surgeon didn't have to take any of his own meniscus out is that the meniscus was damaged in a, in a part of the meniscus that is, that is highly vascularized. In other words, it gets really high blood flow heals really well. The surgeon just had to sew it up. So they still had to protect it. And so he was a little bit delayed and it was more than just a regular ACL. But in terms of like complications, um, it was more moderate than it was maximally complex the way that, for example, Joe Burrows was. So on top of that, you also look at the fact that the Giants have brought him along so slowly and that he has been itching to get on the field. We know that there, there are some reports saying that most, you know, even outside opinions were saying he's ahead of schedule. Um, and I know people freaked out when they saw his quad size. Don't worry about the quad size. He had to test out at 90 percent of his maximum strength from the opposite limb. So it's not like that's going to impact him too much, but in terms of his week one availability, now that we're staring down the pipe, right? It's hard to fade Saquon Barkley. So let's look at a little bit of history. When Jamal Charles was coming off his first ACL tear in 2012, he saw in his first week of action, 42% of snaps. Now he, Jamal Charles was never like a big, big, you know, high percentage snaps guy. Anyway, he ended that year with 58% of snaps. He finishes a PPR RB 10. So uh, Adrian Peterson, right. Coming off the ACL, as well Uh, his week one for whatever reason snaps i couldn't find week two he played 61 percent of snaps so he ended the season seeing about 70 76 percent of the snaps and obviously we all know how that season ended so moral of the story if we use historical precedent the idea that that saquon barkley is 10 and a half months removed i from a medical perspective obviously haven't examined my you know haven't seen him myself i haven't seen a strength and conditioning program I, it's hard to imagine they're going to give him less than 50% of the snaps. Maybe they protect him at the goal line. I don't really know. Maybe they use a lot more Devonte Booker. I don't really know how talented Devonte Booker is. Um, you also have to consider, I think that we do. He, what's that? <laughs> so do we do. Okay. Okay. So, so you also have to consider that they're obviously probably going to be down in this game, right? So that's going to be a big, big predictor of, of how much they're going to use Barkley in the passing game and how much they're not. Um, and then I think Gettleman, I mean, unless you correct me if I'm wrong, I think Gettleman uh, is is a little bit, you know, under the gun this year, um, especially if Daniel Jones doesn't show. So I think they're going to be trying to be in win now mode. And just remember, like, if I can put a bow on this, you did not draft Saquon Barkley for week one and two. You drafted Saquon Barkley for week five, for week eight, for week 10, for week 15 when you're in the playoffs and he's Saquon Barkley again. I truly believe he's going to get to that point this year. So don't panic. And that was my, as my uneducated opinion to fantasy gamers this season, especially sharp football subscribers, was that that was my overall emphasis on Saquon Barkley. You know, this is a guy that averaged 24 PPR points per game in 2018, 18.8 PPR points per game in 2019, his two full seasons. You don't draft a guy saying, all right, I need those 24 points week one. You'd like them. We would like them. But we, even this season of all seasons, we have an extra week of the fantasy regular season this season as well. So Saquon Barkley is a big picture. A lot of people say, oh, 
well, I can't use him weeks one or two, or I'm scared he's going to be limited and they play on Thursday night. I don't know if I can use him weeks one or two, but let's factor in, like, say you just don't use him. You just outright sit him. You you, you said you don't want to fade him, but say you do, right? Say you pick a player you really liked, or say you, you drafted early and you ran into Gus Edwards, right? Who plays the Raiders as your RB three or four, uh, and you don't want to be cautious or your favorite. So, you know, a lot of people, you might look at their fantasy situation and say, all right, am I favored to win this matchup or do I need to hit a home run? Uh, and, you know, make your decision based on that but with a lot of people just totally don't factor in the replacement value of players so you're not just getting Saquon Barkley uh weeks three through 17 you're getting still replacement value put in your lineups weeks one and two as well uh so if he's going to come back and even score say 90 percent of his 2019 production which was six points fewer per, per game in 2018 which was like a ceiling outcome I mean with replacement value the first two weeks you're still you still have an RB1 over the course of the season for fantasy football uh you know and then you talk about when he gets up to speed in week three let's say week three is the number right the magic number that's when AP and, and Jamal Charles kind of got really rocking and you know that that was the same year too both guys came back after they faced Denver and Washington Thursday night he's got matchups against Atlanta Dallas Carolina the Chiefs Vegas all in their their front half of the season before the week 10 bye he's got Dallas in the fantasy playoffs it's a big picture outlook it used to be people would overvalue guys that were suspended uh, early in the season they would let guys fall because they were out you know three weeks this is when your roster is at the, the apex of its strength week one nothing's happened yet uh so you should be operating you know basically at, at full steam ahead you know you might have a Raheem Mostert or, or even a Ronald Jones you could play uh to, to do that but I that's why I never moved him out of the first round I've always thought Saquon was the first round value still and for all those people that got him in the second round turn he was falling into the back end of the second round in FFPC formats I saw McCaffrey team get Saquon Barkley I'm glad I'm not in that league uh, so, I mean, I, I think that Saquon big picture though, still is totally worth first round value. Uh, how about another running back? Go for it. Yeah, say one in, more thing. In. I'm sorry. One more thing. One more thing. Because I haven't mentioned, I know we're talking like focusing on week one, the reason that I'm optimistic. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention there is a 27 year long study done by two orthopedic surgeons looking at the, the impact of ACL surgeries on NFL players. What they found were three common factors for players that were able to return to their previous level of competition. A, offensive players. B, fourth round draft capital or higher, and ostensibly, right? In other words, so the higher, the better. Uh, first round draft capital. So obviously that's Saquon Barkley. Um, and C, it was age younger than 24. Saquon Barkley, check, check, check. Generational athlete. Literally, we overuse generational. He is generational. Oh, check. He is, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's going to get a workload. Even, I know Dan Dugan said he's not going to get 83% of snaps anymore. Who does at this point, right? If he gets 70 to 75%, we're happy with that. Saquon Barkley checks all the boxes, not because he's not risk risky, not because he doesn't come without risk for soft tissue strains. He checks all the boxes to be a statistical outlier. We play this game to win. We don't play to come in third place. We stay to stay at, we play to stay ahead of the curves. Um, that's why you're listening to Reeves right now, because you stay ahead of trends and a trend that could very easily hit this year is Saquon Barkley top five upside. And you got him in the second round. That's the last thing I want to say. I love it. That's a, that's a nice little mic drop. Uh, but, but real quick, just to spin it on some other guys that had ACLs, uh, any concerns over Cortland Sutton, Odell, even Joe Burrow. I, I've seen you mention him. I know he plays a, a fantasy core acquisition. We kind of shun those guys if it's not a two QB league, but uh, any quick thoughts on those guys? Quick thoughts. OBJ, 29 years old, history of soft tissue injuries, had groin surgery already. Um, there's a 20% recurrence, not recurrence. There's a 20% rate of soft tissue strains and players coming off ACL tears. The older, um, the, the, the less, you know, the less safe mm-hmm. they are. So if, if we're picking up those five, like four or five guys, we just mentioned OBJ might be the guy who falls into that bucket of soft tissue strain. Uh, doesn't mean it'll be severe, but it could happen. Cortland Sutton looks ready to roll Joe Burrow, a little bit of a teaser from one of my guys that I chose that we're going to talk about later. Um, you might anticipate seeing a lot of three-step drops. You might anticipate seeing a lot of quick slants, a lot of dump offs mixing until he gets rolling. We're not entirely sure of the ceiling on Joe, Joe Burrow quite yet. Uh, until we see him confident and rolling in that offense. So I, if you're going for ceiling um, DFS play, it's probably not ideal uh, his first week coming off. He's just like nine, nine months after this massive injury that, that was huge. So um, those are the quick thoughts on those guys. 
Yeah, yeah. And Burrow's in an interesting situation because no team ran more empty sets than the Bengals last year as well. Uh, they're not a team that had a back end blocking or a tight end uh, often, you know, kind of a pass pro. Uh, he is number one in the NFL in rate of dropbacks with just the five offensive linemen. That's crazy. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust and recalibrate, like you said, if he's going to be, since he's ready to play in week one, how they adjust their scheme a little bit. And I'll roll it right into another Bengals player uh, that is a very popular or unpopular in the fantasy community sakes anytime you bring up his name it's almost like a scarlet letter no one seems to want to draft him or believe in the upside anymore and a lot of people believe that he is kind of just fantasy fool's gold and injury prone uh which i know that you can kind of dig into but uh mr joe mixon coming off the foot surgery last year really you prior to his injury he was he led the nfl in touches he was second in touches per game behind derrick henry at that time and you remove Gio bernard from the fold and you look at this depth chart of you know chris evans is an intriguing player that uh you know harbaugh ruined at the khaki brigade uh but there's not a lot of depth here samaj p ryan not a lot of excitement so it looks like from the surface level this is full go you know joe mixon is gonna be a guy that can have one of those elite snap shares in the nfl but seemingly no one wants to value him correctly i think that they might i think you're the the other guy on the depth chart next after that i mean you're not wrong on their depth Reeves, this is a guy who's going to get a ton of touches. And when you look at his health perspective, right, from 2015 to 2019, Joe Mixon played a whopping 69 nice out of 74 games. 93% of the games from college through 2019 he played. And the best predictor of future health is previous health. So what's the big problem here, right? He just, he just turned 25. Um, he's a guy that a lot of people are concerned about. He really doesn't have that big of an, that much injury mileage on him. He had a concussion in 2017. We know that two years removed from that, the risk starts to go down for recurrence on those. Uh, in 2018, he had a knee scope, missed two games because of that. Didn't really have any issues until last year with the foot. I'm convinced that they shut him down after the burrow injury, and they just said, dude, don't worry about it, not a big deal. So what potentially happened with Joe Mixon is that this was a midfoot sprain. In other words, a Liz Frank. Liz Frank doesn't always mean end of the world. You can have a grade one, grade two, stable Liz Frank. And that's what we're going to assume he had because there was no, no report that he had surgery, anything like that. So there are two massive studies. And those massive studies, uh, are look, they're called systematic reviews. They're, you can look at uh, Gregory Aiden, James Robertson. That's a very long first name, very fancy. And then another study done by uh, Shakad Rachel. And what they found in these athletes that have these midfoot sprains that are considered stable and they can, and they rehab them conservatively without surgery is they have excellent outcomes, no recurrence, no issues. They can come back. You think of a guy like Calvin Ridley played the rest of the season with, after a stable list, Frank, you look at think of a guy like Chris Carson came back, had a stable list, Frank. These injuries are more common than I think uh, the general public realizes. And if they're stable, then it's not a big deal. That's not to say that he's not at risk for a concussion, right? Not at risk for an ankle sprain, high ankle sprain, whatever. Things can happen, but if you're worried about the foot or if you're worried about the 2017 concussion, I think you're a little behind the curve. Nice, nice. All right, one more running back, and then I've got a receiver for you. But uh, one guy that is kind of oscillated heavily all offseason. He went from overvalued to undervalued, now potentially overvalued again. Uh, and that's DeAndre Swift, uh, who looks like he's all good to go. Dan Campbell came out and said today he's good to go in week one. We know we've heard a lot of chatter this offseason, you know, from Anthony Lynn uh, about him, you know, being a 1A back and then Jamal Williams being a 1B back. And Anthony Lynn's a guy who's always used compartmentalized backfield. But from a health perspective, what is DeAndre Swift looking like uh, with his groin injury and all the missed time he missed his preseason? Is there anything we need to be concerned about go ahead into the season? I think concerned would be a little bit of a heavy word to use, but I think it's a, a flag. I don't want to call it any color. I'm not going to give it a flag. You choose a flag on DeAndre Swift. You can't choose green, but it's a flag. Uh, the fact that he is, you know, is dating back to 2018, had this groin surgery in 2018, and 2020 was on the injury report with hip a lot of times, like we saw with Odell, for example, these teams will just put on a general body part and region. The groin and the hip are, are very interconnected. This likely in 2020 was uh, another groin issue. And then you take a look at the fact that he now in 2021 is dealing with soft tissue strains. The reason this is different than like a Tyler Lockett or a Brandon Ayuk is because this is chronic for him at this point. So it doesn't matter if, you know, it's a, if it's a coincidence, does the coaching staff believe that he can carry a full workload without having more soft tissue strains? They went out inside signed Jamal Williams, who's a pretty good, decent little back in his own right. We don't know, right? So are they going to manage his workloads? Are they going to give him less touches? Are they going to rest him, you know, veteran rest days? What are they going to do? Do they believe that they have some control over these chronic groin strains that Swift can't seem to shake? 
on top of that, he had a really severe concussion. I, I don't, I shouldn't say severe. He had a concussion last year and had as a result, severe symptoms. Once you have one concussion, you are about double the risk for another one. So then you have that risk on top of it. So that's an elevated risk for that. And he missed three games last year because of a concussion. If he misses, if he has another concussion this year, there is a decent chance, clinically speaking, that he's going to miss more time again and not be able to bounce back after the second concussion in one year. So all of that in a nutshell for me says that DeAndre Swift is a really good running back. He has a really good opportunity in front of him based on his, based on his history. I'm, nervous that the that the lions will limit his workloads and even if they do he's at risk for another concussion there are a lot of objective tangible reasons i think that for me anyway swift started falling to the third and fourth but i actually would really love to hear your thoughts and opinion on the jamal williams situation the 1a 1b like what do you think is actually going on there yeah i mean well swift was interesting because when the offseason first opened uh you know in the spring he was a guy that was going even as early in the, in the early second because you know he was a guy that had this great receiving profile a lot of people some people had him even over Jonathan Taylor as a prospect uh last year and you know it looked like the runway was about to be clear you know Matt Patricia's gone although they did bring in Anthony Lynn but then they it's all it just slowly started to snowball against him right the, the Lions started to objectively look worse and worse as a team they add Jamal Williams and Jamal Williams has never been a back that's had standalone value without another injury he was only ever great when Aaron Jones was out but he was a guy that was just like this pesky thorn because he does everything just well enough for coaching staff to really like like he's a good short yardage back he he can catch the ball he's good in two-minute drill and he's good in pass protection all things that adhere to coaching staffs uh he we always saw we saw with Aaron Jones he capped Aaron Jones's receiving value and touch value because he would play in four-minute drills and these two-minute drills and, and get these drives uh every third drive per game uh and that's a situation I think a lot of people were saying well this could happen here DeAndre Swift was a guy who only played 50 percent or more of the snaps just six times as a rookie it's just going to happen again to us uh then you know you pick up the the, the groin strain and he kind of falls back then people are, are saying that draft wide receiver heavier are like well this guy fits the archetype of a guy you want to take a shot on then he starts to climb up a little bit again uh and then you know around these other receivers that are healthier and you know might have you know better floors and ceilings uh so then we just kind of don't really know he can he ends, ends up in this gray area right where like either you are in on him or someone likes him more than you you were never really going to catch like a great value on him anymore. Uh, like you could for like a little bit of the, of the summer when things are really gone, gone off the deep end. I look at it too. Last year, he ran really hot in the red zone. He completely uh, outkicked his, his touchdown production, which, which concerns me for any player, a healthy player. And then when you pair that with the, the lines could just have natural scoring regression because they just won't be as good. He was a concern for me from an on-field performance perspective. So when you double down and you add this, whatever color flag you want to place on it, I, someone in the league always liked him more than me. He was a guy I really liked in auctions uh, a lot because you could kind of mitigate some of that opportunity cost. Uh, that was really it. He was the only really nibbled there. So we'll see how it plays out. See if I regret kind of, you know, not really getting in on him towards the end of the season when I really started to crank out all these drafts in the 11th hour. Um, but he's someone that I had concern with first. And like I said, doubled down with, uh, you know, off field issues as well. So I kind of just kind of took them off of my board a little bit outside of auctions. I, I think um, it's possible to just, I think it's possible for player. We get so obsessed in this era of everything's of, of super value or just egregious. Mm-hmm, right. Right. And, and I think that it's okay for some players to just be okay at their ADP. And I'm wondering if that's the situation with Swift. Yeah, it very well could be. I've always told people too, that, you know, don't be scared to remove people from your board if you don't want them. Like a lot of people say like, well, if this guy's here, I have to take him. Right. I'm like, did you want him? Like, remember you like you, it's your team. Like you don't, don't get talking to players. You just inherently don't want to own in the first place. And I'm not saying that Swift's one of those guys for everybody, but you know, if you don't want a player, like you don't have to take them ever at any point. Uh, and it's okay to take guys uh, off your board. And a lot of people did take this next player off their board completely. Uh, and I think he's a great conversation. Cause I think a lot of people are a little sour of what happened last year. Uh, we're going to talk about Michael Thomas here, you know, uh, because a lot of people are upset what happened last year, just the way it played out. You know, he's, I, he get, first of all, he gets hurt in a garbage time run situation where the Saints don't even have to score a touchdown and they're running the football. So they don't have to run a real play. So it's always kind of something that like we're, we're irritated by Sean Payton. Uh, Michael Thomas, you know, looks like he's going to come back. He doesn't come back. He's, he, he, he just never really kind of returns back to form. And when he comes back and plays, he's great. 
he, he gets 35% of the team targets. He's getting jammed with targets. Uh, then he, he's put on the shelf to rest that ankle again until the postseason. We don't see him. He doesn't have the surgery right away. He kind of crept up on everybody and said, oh, he just had surgery now in June, even though Nick Underhill kind of reported that he didn't have the surgery way before that. Um, and he has surgery. He's going to be on the pup list. They put him on the pup list. They also have a early season buy. So he cannot return until officially till week eight. One, what can we expect from Michael Thomas returns? Is, is Do we have to worry about a ramp-up period when he returns? Is this not just a, he's got to miss six games. He The six games is going to be more like seven or eight games till he gets kind of his sea legs under him. Uh, because that is kind of gives us more of an accurate timetable of what to expect. And if people really want to lean and holding him onto these roster spots, I, I would want to hold him on a roster spot. Because I, he's always the guys we talk about Saquon. We're talking about elite talents and replacement value. If you're not going to have him for seven weeks because of the buy now added on here with replacement value at a wide receiver, plus Michael Thomas, what he's historically done. And let's knock him. Let's give him say 80% of what his career output with Drew Brees. We don't know. Maybe Jameis is just really terrible. Uh, and Taysom's really bad, but we have seen him without Drew Brees in the 11 games that Drew Brees has missed or he's left early. He's had 32% of of the team targets in those games they know how to get him the football he knows how to get open so let's give him 80 percent of his career production and we'll miss seven games with replacement value at wide receiver just replacement level production and you could run into more production he still is going to finish at between the wide receiver 24 and wide receiver 26 and he's going at the wide receiver 40 wide receiver 44 like in that ballpark uh so do we have a, an opportunity here where just everyone completely undervalued Michael Thomas. I think we might. I think that Michael Thomas could be a massive value at the end of drafts. He was going before he was placed on the pup. He was going too soon. Like he was going like 76 overall. And it's, it's just, that was way too soon. There is going to be a ramp up period, but now we have the grace of, and the knowledge that the saints are going to take it slow with him. If they take it any slower than week seven, then they are really dedicated to him just protecting him and bubble wrapping him, right? So I, I was trying to pull up the uh, tweet that I had about him, and now I can't even find it. But basically, you had these timelines. And so it was, here it is. So return to a specific rehab. Let's say that he had surgery, I don't know, June 15th is when it ended up being, I think. So like that middle of June, right? So 37 days from that is when he started sort of cutting again, doing some sports-specific rehab. Uh, 72 days from then, so that's roughly now, right? That's two months or so. Um, he started training again, so probably lifting weights, running routes on air, stuff like that. The return to game wasn't until 103 days uh, in this specific study after this surgery, this procedure that, that Michael Thomas had. So 103 days from June 15th, I can't do the math on that. I think that ended up being like week four or five, if I remember correctly. And so they're saying that they're going to give him until at least week seven, week eight, I'll be confident at that point that they did enough of a ramp up period. It's going to take him probably a game or two to get his sea legs truly under him, but I think he's going to be at least right. This is at least 80, 85% Michael Thomas full swing, ready to go. Um, and we're going to assume that the surgery is going to stick. It's not going to fail or have complications. So on the, again, sort of a similar conversation with Barkley, like you're not stashing Michael Thomas for week five. You're not, you're not even really stashing him for like week nine. This is a guy that you're definitely stashing uh, for week 14, week 15, when the playoffs start. Um, in the league where I'm about to absolutely just throttle everybody that you're in the injury prone invitational. Uh, hopefully I, I, I can, I get Michael Thomas the week that I play you Reeves so I can crush you. Like I'm going to like a grape. So yeah, that this is a guy that I think at this point, we know where he is. We know where he's going in drafts. We know when he's going to be back. I would be shocked if they, if they took held him out any longer than that. And I do think that he can, he can definitely deliver some value. Yeah. I was going to take Michael Thomas the rounds you took him uh, and jumped me. You got him before he ended up coming back to me. I was going to definitely do the same thing, hold him, uh, because I felt really good about where I was situationally on that on that team. Uh, so one last quick injury kind of touched upon, and it's going to kind of largely pertain to wide receiver. You could spin it into other positions as well. And you talked about a lot of these guys that have these soft tissue injuries and these camp soft tissue injuries. And it's not uncommon to see guys as they come back you know, get injured. You can correct me on that. I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, it, during these conditioning periods. So how concerned do we need to be about these guys that look like they're good to go now, but miss largely the entire preseason guys like Marquise Brown, Kenny Galladay, Curtis Samuel, uh, where are we at on those guys? They're moderately volatile at, at, at least. These are guys who like somebody like a Curtis Samuel, I'm not starting him or using him in any DFS lineup in, unless he gets a full week of FP, 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 full practice, full practice, full practice. Somebody like Marquise Brown, sort of the same thing. 
FP, FP, FP. If you see any of them downgraded, not using them. Kenny Galladay, he's sort of a borderline guy, right? He's one of those guys that you almost, if he's on your team, you almost have to start him. Um, I would be a little more confident since it's been almost a month. It'll be almost a month since his injury initially happened. I'm less concerned than if this were like a Keenan Allen situation from Thursday night football or Mike Evans situation from week one where he didn't practice and then was limited the last day during the walkthrough. Those are situations that worry me a lot less. So as long as these dudes get full practices and don't get downgraded, and even if they're limited practice, I'm, you know, less leery, but I'd prefer them to have full practices. They're moderately volatile, volatile until they, t- they can show us that they can get through a game because once they get through one game, that's sort of like the wall. It's like the glass ceiling. Okay. You had a hamstring strain. You got through the game. You didn't have a setback. Um, you're probably good to go at this point. And that's what I want to see for all those guys that have a soft tissue injury right now. Yeah, beautiful golly is a guy he he just sank in drafts. And Marquise Brown was a guy that was falling into like the wide receiver 50s, almost wide receiver 60 in some in some drafts towards the end of the season. Uh, I definitely just took some swings on him in that spot, just kind of, you know, just like why not at, at that at that point. So, but yeah, but they're in spots where I don't have to play them, luckily. All right. So yeah, that's great. I, I mean, hopefully everyone kind of all the players they're concerned about and had a question about we covered uh, leading into this season. If you want to follow, you know, Edwin's work, I know he does a lot of stuff at fantasypoints.com where he is putting out like weekly reports on everything that's going on throughout the week. Uh, you know, if you want to figure out kind of what happened, I, I will get you on the spot just because we had something pop up today. Uh, what, what do we know about Chris Godwin? We know that he was downgraded from a full practice to a limited practice today. We know that it's a quad. A lot of times when we think, when we hear quad, what we think is a strain and not necessarily a contusion or a bruise. If he practices tomorrow in full, it's full sales ahead. The quads are a lot less finicky than a hamstring or a groin because there's just more of them. There's a lot more mass. There's a lot more blood flow. Um, it's, it's, it's a muscle that can recover a little bit more quickly. You don't love to see it, but I don't, I also can't envision a, a, a world where Chris Godwin gets in at least a limited practice tomorrow and you sit him. Um, I'm not that concerned. I know I just talked about, you know, hamstring strains being an issue. Quad strains aren't that big of an issue. Maybe some, you know, minimal to moderate volatility for Godwin, uh, regardless of what the outcome ends up. As, as long as he practices tomorrow, I'm using Chris Godwin wherever I have him. Beautiful. That's what we want to hear. All right. So we always do We're going to do a segment on the show weekly here where me and the guests pick a quarterback a running back a wide receiver and a tight end that is ranked outside of the industry consensus starters at his position we like to call it starts and sneaksters you might have a little lineup decision or there might be just a guy you like his matchup and say you know what? i want to find a way to get him into my lineup we're here to help you with that so i will let you go first edwin uh what kind of quarterback are you looking at that the industry maybe just a little maybe too low on that you're higher on than them this week Okay, so this is going to be really gross, but I'm ready. I'm fully prepared for you to blast me on this one. This one was hard, okay? So, Jameis Winston, ranked at Fantasy Pros, quarterback 20. There's a 50 sneaky, a sneaky 50-point over-under Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a 23 point implied total. He's only $5,200 on DraftKings. I took the sort of the DFS route, but I also think this could work for some, if you're like in a, in a tight spot, like you're saying, like projected to lose or something. Um, <laughs> here's a funny little stat. In 2019, the last time he was a starter, he threw... In the first five games, he threw 19 interceptions. Right. <laughs> however, however, he averaged 19.5 DraftKings points and had a and had a median of 17 in those weeks, and he, he ended up having like 35 points one of those weeks. So if you're like shooting for the stars, if you're starting with you know Michael Thomas as your wide receiver two or something crazy, then and you you maybe you drafted J.K. Dobbins as your RB two. If you're if you're just swinging for the fences in week one, or if you want a really cheap option at quarterback on DraftKings in week one, uh, Jameis Winston, uh, you know you got you're gonna have to live with the reality of the equity that that lives within Taysom Hill, that some of that touchdown equity that he doesn't have. But you know we don't know a lot about this offense yet. Maybe they go a lot downfield to Jameis Winston. We don't know. But since you're making me choose somebody, Reeves, this is the guy that I chose. It was a really gross uh, situation all around. There weren't very many good options. No, I like that. I mean, Winston, your complete boomer bust quarterback. That's what you, you know, at quarterback, you, you know, you, you can shoot for the moon. He's playing a team that's going to score points. I mean, the Packers were the most efficient offense in the NFL last season. So we know points are going to be scored on them. They're going, I wish it was still, you know, in New Orleans, you know, hopefully everyone's still doing all right there. Uh, and they were in that, you know, in the dome on that track. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of things like there. The Packers were not a good team at pressuring the quarterback last year. They're 27th in pressure rate. So we, you know, you don't let Winston under pressure. He's going to not 
it's going to mitigate some of those mistakes that he's, you know, kind of, kind of prone to making, you know, he'll still force some balls, but he outright just smashed Taysom Hill in the preseason. I mean, he, he, he 72% completion rate, 10 yards per pass attempt, three touchdowns, Taysom Hill's at 59.4%, 6.8 yards per attempt. Uh, he outright won that job. It wasn't like something he backed into. Uh, so, I mean, I like that, man. That's a, a, a little more provocative than the one I had. I feel like I see it. I know. Well, I I was just going to go with the the kind of the chalky streamer and say Trevor Lawrence, you know, as kind of the guy uh, that I yeah. looked at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you know, Lawrence got better as as the preseason went on. You know, he closed the exhibition, you know, period of his best game. And granted, it was the exhibition period. And it was the Dallas Cowboys backups, but he was on fire that game. Eleven of twelve passes he completed, one hundred forty yards, two touchdowns. Uh, that's what you like to see, just kind of you know getting right a foot forward, uh, getting better as you know these practice periods kind of go on. And he's making his first career start on the road, which we don't really like, but he gets about as great as a draw you kind of hope for, which is arguably kind of one of the league's worst defenses in twenty twenty. Houston was our already 28th in the league in passing points allowed per game 18.3 they forced the fewest turnovers in the league and they were 26th in pressure rate and they got worse on paper uh so i mean i think that we didn't even get to see the konami package that lawrence has and he has a little bit of that you know he's kind of a you know a gangly dude he's 6'6 six, six, but he ran for 563 203 yards 177 rushing yards over his three seasons at clemson with 18 touchdowns and we know herb likes to use his quarterbacks near the goal line so we could see some, some some Trevor Lawrence maybe rushing upside that's unaccounted for as well. Not as provocative as James Winston, but uh, I will go with Trevor Lawrence as kind of the, the, the top streamer uh, of the week. So what do you got for running backs for us? This is where right. it gets gross. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll agree on this. And I'm really looking to get your, your input on this one. All right. Trey Sermon, half PPR consensus, RB32. So San Francisco's favored by seven and a half. Uh, I looked into the difference between, you know, Raheem Mostert, what, what do the goal linebacks do? Jeff Wilson's obviously out, right? So I was surprised to find this out. Maybe you knew this already, Reeves. In 23 games since 2019, Raheem Mostert has 11 goal line carries. I was pretty surprised to hear that. Trey Sermon on DraftKings is $4,500. And this is the perfect spot where they're favored big, where they want to put on display what the rookie can do maybe both of these guys can go off most are, And it's not unreasonable because we know how much San Francisco loves to run the ball. It is not unreasonable. You know, there's a world where Moster and Sermon both rush for like a hundred yards and each have a touchdown apiece. like that. Well, that world exists. And we've seen that happen in the past with the San Francisco backfield. So for that upside, especially like in a GPP, I'm all down. I'm, I'm all, all in on, on Trey Sermon at $4,500. I think that he can smash his RB 32 80 or ADP his ranking. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I love this uh, call here. You, know, you look at the 49ers last season, they were fifth in the league in collective backfield touches per game at 30.6. And that was, you know, they had a plethora of injuries at the position. In 2019, they were second in the league in backfield touches per game. We know this is a backfield driven offense. And you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. And I've been talking about this all season with Trey Sermon and, and Raheem Mostert about both guys kind of uh, coexisting early in the season is that Raheem Mostert, even if you include the preseason, Inside of the five-yard line since he's been at the 49ers is three of 13 in converting those carries for touchdowns, 23%. Other 49er backs over the same period have converted 18 of 34. That's 52.9%. A huge discrepancy in the same environment. Raheem Mostert is one of these guys that if you give him a tarmac, he is going to fly and float for long-distance touchdowns. But near the paint and short yard runners where you can't get the edge as much, he doesn't deliver as much. And that's where Sermon can immediately kind of come in and have a role, even in games where he doesn't have a ton of touches. And then you hit the other nail on the head is they're just huge favorites. And they're against the Lions team that allowed 4.6 yards for carry running backs last year. That was 24th in the NFL. And they allowed 18 rushing touchdowns running backs last year. That was 31st in the league. Only one team allowed more rushing touchdowns than them. So I like the, the Sermon call here. It's completely a, a game environment for him. Uh, uh, I love that he's one of my favorite players to draft for the long-term outlook on him uh, for the you know, 49ers playoff schedule and getting leverage and all those tournament teams to try to stack 49ers passing passing game assets. Uh, I love that call, though. I love it. I love it. You're doing uh, well, yes. Who do you have? Uh, I'm going with a player that no one likes. I'm going to go with uh, my boy Ron John, Ronald Jones. Uh, really? Yep. Okay, Thursday Thursday night action. Let's yeah, well, Thursday night, just to feel alive on Thursday night, just to feel something. And if the preseason tune-up was any kind of suggestion when the first team offense was in, I mean, he was the early down back with kind of Fournette working in. Uh, Ronald Jones, a guy players, uh, t- you know, 
fantasy gamers like to dunk on him, but he's improved every year in the NFL. He's increased his touches, yards, and yards per touch, and touchdowns scored from the year prior since he's been in the league. The only problem with him is that 87% of his touches come from the running game. He caught two or a few passes, 10 of his 14 games played last year. He ran a pass around just 31% of Tampa Bay dropbacks. It's probably going to go lower this year because you add a guy like Gio Bernard, that role is just not going to happen. But when we look at the setup, eight point home favorites against the run D that was just completely awful in 2020. Dallas allowed opponents to gain five or more yards and a league high 41% of their rushing attempts. They were 23rd in points per game allowed to running backs. Um, I, I think that this sets up for him to be kind of the goal line guy and get in a high scoring game to, so we can steal a touchdown here. I think that if you're, if you have Ronald Jones, you probably got him as your wide receiver three or wide receiver four. Some players, I believe he outright outscores in week one, Josh Jacobs, Javante Williams, Kareem Hunt, AJ Dillon. Those are all players that were drafted higher than him in ADP. It's gross, but uh, Ronald Jones out the blocks, I think has a nice setup. I really like that call. I really, I, I didn't really consider, I know that that, that three, you know, headed backfield is really annoying. Um, another thing you consider, Joe Bernard, high ankle sprain, as minor as they want to call it. I don't, I'm not entirely sure how much they're going to play him. Uh, Arians is really careful with his vets coming off of, of injuries like that. Um, and then we all know Lombardi Lenny. We know Lombardi Lenny, what he can do. But I think that that you're totally spot on. It, it really goes back to like choose talent, right? Pick talent, invest in talent. Um, over more so than, than situation. And I think Ronald Jones is definitely at this point in their careers, their respective careers, the, the most talented guy. So don't mind that at all. Yeah. And anytime he was healthy there, they kind of went back to him. They kept trying to go back to him. Even in the Super Bowl, he got the run and he got stoned on that goal line carry where they went for the fourth down. And then after that kind of Lenny started working his way in more. Um, I'll go first on the wide receiver. Uh, Let's hear it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to, I'm going to stack my quarterback and go with LaVisca Chenault. Ooh. You know, yeah. You know, we know Chenault had, well, had a productive kind of rookie campaign. He gained steam in the fantasy community community as like the summer went on uh, in the preseason. He only ran routes when the Jaguars with the three wide receiver sets, but this is a team that's going to use three wide receiver sets all the time. They're not going to use a fullback. They don't really have a tight end presence on this offense. I know both Marv and DJ shark are going to be on the field in this week, one game uh, to kind of maybe limit his target share, but Chenault, they've already shown us in the preseason exactly what he's going to be right he's going to be used in a high value he's like the higher volume Debo Samuel uh he's he's kind of a, a running back in nature and build trapped in a wide receiver position like he's he plays the position like a running back he's great after the catch uh he's gonna have a low a dot but in these PPR formats he's just going to get drilled with targets. I think he's a guy that has a floor of each week of getting four to five catches per game. Then you get the upside of the, of the yardage and can he get into the box um, to have any type of upside. Uh, but I believe that he's going to be a great floor play all season in full PPR formats. Just depends on the touchdown totals in your non PPR formats, what you get, but he's facing this Houston defense. That is just like we said, a dredge. I want to stack my quarterback. They got 8.9 yards per target to opposing wide receivers. That was 25th in the NFL. Uh, when he put the full game, he played against Houston last year. He had seven catches for seven. 79 yards. It's a nice little floor play if you can get a touchdown that goes with it. Uh, so I'm looking at LaVisca and some guys I think he outscores this week. I think he outscores uh, a hot take. I think he outscores Deontay Johnson. I think he outscores Jerry Judy. I think he outscores Jamar Chase uh, and Odo Beckham in week one. Oh, you're making me so sad. Those are like all the dudes that I've rostered on my guy. Like Jerry Judy. I, have, I have a ton of Judy, I, man. I have a ton guys. of Judy. <laughs> I, have, I have a dis- I have an illegal amount of Jerry Judy. So yeah. <laughs> he, he, it's you, you really nailed it. I think that you, you're the second person, right? JJ Zacharyson's another guy who came on my podcast and said the same thing about LaVisca Chenault, that he's like a, like a souped up uh, Debo Samuel. And like, if two of the sharpest dudes in the industry are telling me that LaVisca Chenault is, is the truth, then I'm probably going to believe them. So I, I really don't mind that call whatsoever. Um, and I do think that you're going to get a lot of, like you said, a really, really solid floor with a chance at a ceiling for him. All right. So what do you got here for a wide receiver? Oh, okay. Sneaks I'm really, start. I'm really glad you didn't take this guy. <laughs> Tyler Boyd consensus week one, wide receiver 30 in uh, half PPR. And, and that shocked me that it was half PPR, right? So here's the deal. Minnesota's favored by three and Tyler Boyd before the injury to Joe Burrow in 2020, guess how, I don't, you might know that you're like a computer. You have all these stats in your head. What do you know how many targets he, he, he was averaging b- before that injury? Well, well, from weeks one through 10, he was the wide receiver 13 and overall scoring. And he was seventh among all wide receivers and receptions. And he was a wide receiver three or better in PPR scoring in seven of those nine full games. Okay. So you knew all of that. So yes, then, you know, by proxy, he, he was, he was averaging nine targets per game before that injury happens. Guess, guess who Joe Burrow was throwing to who he targeted on that injury. Yeah. Tyler Tyler Boyd. Boyd. Yeah. Tyler Boyd. So <laughs> The fact that Tyler Boyd 
is, is, you know, obviously a target favorite so far for Joe Burrow. And the fact what we talked about and touched on earlier, Joe Burrow getting back into the swing of things, right? Quick slants, three-step drops. Not sure how much empty they're going to run at this point just to get him comfortable. I don't know how often he's going to be feel comfortable to pull it down and run. This is going to take some time. He, this is a massive injury he's coming off of. This, the mental aspect of the game is something we ignore often because it's difficult to quantify, but it does matter. Getting his sea legs back under him is going to be, you know, something that he's going to have to go through for the week, for the first probably quarter of the season. And who is he going to do? You've used the term on my podcast. You use the term, the binky Tom Brady's binky. I think you were referring to, to James White or somebody you're referring to somebody about their binky. And I cannot, cannot help myself. At least I'm convincing myself that Tyler Boyd is going to be that binky. He plays 76%, at least in 2020, he played 76% of snaps from the slot. Um, a very, very, very nice target for Joe Burrow to, to sort of to target when he's feeling uncomfortable, when he wants to get rid of the ball. I really like Tyler Boyd to beat his wide receiver 30 uh, consensus rank here from fantasy pros. And I like that for the reasons we hit on earlier, you know, if this team's not going to recalibrate, uh, you know, and, and put Joe Burrow behind these limited, limited protection again, uh, that ball's going to come out quick. I mean, what's going to go, you know, you're not going to push the ball downfield when it comes out quick. Uh, so I like that one a lot. And I, I mean, they, those two guys had some nice chemistry. I always think of the game that the Bengals uh, beat the Titans and Joe Burrow targeted Tyler Boyd uh, in, a, in a play in this game. And you can probably search and find this play where he throws this ball before Tyler Boyd even remotely breaks or or even looks for the ball when Boyd snaps his head the ball is right there and he just catches it by default just like his body just reacted it was like instinct yeah just instinct (laughs) I gotta grab it uh I definitely it was one of the one of the better like anticipatory throws Burrow had and he's great in the intermediate game anyways that was a strength of his at LSU but that game against that play against the Titans if anyone recalls that I mean that was it was on full display right there uh all right so we'll bring this thing home uh what kind of tight end do you got for me this is where it gets really bad and ugly this is where it gets disgusting <laughs> and this is like naughty i didn't even i'm gonna be honest with you i i did some searching like three or three or four minutes and i said this is stupid tight ends dumb i hate i don't know how you <laughs> you guys do it every weekend and week out i'm an injury guy i stick to injuries 99 percent of the time uh tight end 13 by by fantasy pros consensus johnny smith who else is mac jones gonna go through uh throw to jacoby myers sure i mean uh this is a game where you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of mac jones probably trying to get rid of the ball uh, you might see some mistakes, but he's also going to be looking for a security blanket. Jonu Smith is a freak athlete. He's proven what he can do on the field. I think a lot of people have Jonu uh, sort of in the top one or two uh, projected for targets in that offense anyway, especially as things are going. I don't have a lot of other statistical analysis other than Jonu Smith tied in 12. I don't know. No, I like that as well. Uh, I, we, we, those are two guys. That, uh, what are, do, do you have something real quick on just Jonu and Hunter Henry on their injuries? Are they, are they good to go? Johnu has had some weird ragtag injuries, uh, string them together. They don't really make a lot of sense. I think he can stay healthy. I will say Hunter Henry. I think what happened is he had a very brief shoulder subluxation. I think because he was doing it during a blocking drill. I think the shoulder rammed to the, the, the back, the posterior part of his shoulder, um, came out for a little bit. He spent a few days in a, in a sling, didn't practice. That's sort of an annoying lingering ish issue that takes a lot of time to come back from. So I think if anybody's going to get targets because of that specifically, anybody who's integrated themselves into the office at this point, it's been Johnny. Nice. Nice. I like that. I was going to go with someone like lame, like Zach Ertz, but I want to let my hair down. It's week one. Let's throw a dart. I'm going to stack a guy with your quarterback, uh, Juwan Johnson. Wow. You know, yeah. You know, with Adam Troutman kind of, you know, hobbled, I mean, he's set up to take a a large role in this offense in week one without, you know, Michael Thomas on the field. It's him, Marcus Cow. We don't know what Traquan Smith's going to give them in week one. So when you look at their pass catchers, it's really down to Callaway, Alvin Kamara, and Jawan Johnson. Uh, You know, he averaged 26.7 yards per catch in the preseason. I know that that's stuff that's not going to be sticky and hang out, but he averaged his depth of target was 12.8 yards. Well, what kind of type of usage is that very similar to? It's very similar to the role Jared Cook had in this offense. He was their actual default field stretcher uh, the past few years. I mean, he led all regular season uh, New Orleans pass catchers uh, in, in yards per catch last season that had double digit catches, and he did the same in 2019. They like to use that role in that field stretching kind of uh you know, stretch the defense out and he's converted wide receiver. Jameis is a guy that's also willing to push the ball a little more than Drew Brees uh, was you talk about them chasing points. So, I mean, I think when you're getting into the dredges of tight end and you need a streamer this week, you need someone to play. It's easy to say, Oh, I'll just play Zach Ertz or I'll play Austin Hooper and I'll take my seven points. But if you really, really want to have some fun, I think Juwan Johnson's a fun play. Okay. I don't mind that. He's a converted receiver, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. I could do that. I could do that one. Honestly, with tight end, 
like I'll honestly listen to whatever you have to tell me because if I'm if I'm streaming tight end, I'm like, I have no idea. So this is it. This is this is actually a really good exercise. <laughs> All right, man. That's gonna put a bow on it. We'll we'll see how we do. Uh, you know, in week one, I'm excited. As week one, we have actual real games to talk about. You know, after the four months, uh, I'm I'm it's I'm so glad that you came on and got to shed kind of your knowledge. I think that someone in your field and in, in this industry it's very important that you guys continue to grow and illuminate all of us, you know, rockheads that are just like, Oh, he's hurt. This guy gets hurt all the time and provide us with accurate information because that's trying to, what I try to do through my fantasy knowledge is present data and tell people like, this is objectively the, how you should play the situation. And that's what you guys are doing. So um, great to have you on. Tell the people again, what you have cooking over at fantasy points, where they can find you on Twitter and anything else you want to plug at FB injury doc, Twitter, fantasypoints.com go to the news and research tab just started um i like to joke just started the rip off roto world i mean nbc sports edge blurbs injury specific blurbs i'm going to try to update that as much as possible i don't have an entire staff it's just me so you go right now go to the site go to news and injuries i mean research and news go down to the injury insights you're going to get updates on every player that's fantasy relevant and has an injury. That's the thing that I'm trying to push right now. Um, and then the injury prone fantasy football podcast, will we go through like quick 10 minute segments, get you run down on the week's injuries. That way, you know exactly what's going on and you don't spend too much time because we don't need to spend too much time on injuries. Anyway, Reeves, I am so excited. This was super fun, man. I'm super honored that you had me on. So I really appreciate you bringing me on. Oh, and listen, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll do it again, you know, sometime here. Hopefully we, don't have a lot of injuries this year. You know, fingers crossed. We don't lose fingers a lot crossed. of our stars, uh, but that's going to put a bow on things. Uh, remember, everybody, you can use the promo code TAKE25 to get 25% off anything at sharpfootballanalysis.com, whether it be a weekly package, betting sub, fantasy sub, or all-inclusive uh, package, college football, whatever you want to do, check that out. I will be back in week two with another guest. No spoilers. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Uh, make sure you check out the site, and good luck in week one. Thank you.